Hey folks, a couple of quick announcements. Jim and I are doing a two-hour live show in Manhattan, New York City, on Saturday, November 12th at the Heartland Brewery on West 43rd Street in Times Square. Jim, you're uh, you're legally allowed to go into Times Square again, aren't you? Yeah, you know, since the incident and the Olaf suit, honestly, it was a carrot. It was a, it was carrot. a carrot, I swear, Your Honor. All right, this, uh, this event starts at 11 a.m. and includes lunch. Jim and I are going to be talking about the history of unbuilt Disney attractions, from the Persian Hotel on Bay Lake in the 1970s to the Spain Pavilion in Epcot just a few years ago, with lots of strange and wondrous examples in between. Get more details at ETC Custom events.com. This is our second live event and the first one sold out. So space is super limited. And like the first one, ETC Custom Events in New York is handling all of our logistics. Again, check out the details at etccustomevents.com. Also, a couple weeks ago, Jim and I mentioned that we're interested in doing another live event in Disney World in 2017 and that you, the audience, we're going to help pick the travel agency that sponsors the event. The travel agency that we're testing is Storybook Destinations, run by our friend Tammy Whiting. Readers of the unofficial guide write Tammy is one of the 15 best travel agents in the country, so this is a pretty good place to start. What we'd like you guys to do is, when you're planning your next trip to Walt Disney World, get a quote from them at storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. And this is the important part. Let us know how Storybook Destinations worked for you. Stakeholder capitalism is only effective if everyone, you, us, them, all benefit from working together. So this has to work for all of us, including you. Like I said, give them a try at storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish and let us know how it goes. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lantesta, and this is our second show for August 2016. Let's bring in Jim Hill right away. Jim, how's it going? Uh, not bad, Lance. All right, Jim, so let's talk about our uh, show. It's the middle of August. Mm-hmm. We are one day removed from Disney's latest earnings call. And that brings us to the topic of the day, which is Disney news. Let's start with the uh, with the earnings call. Jim, what was the what were sort of the big things that stood out for you on the earnings call? What's going on on the par- in the park segment, which kind of jibbed with what we'd heard before, but there were a couple of interesting little deviations. Yeah, there was a couple of things that they mentioned on the call yesterday. One was that revenue was up largely on more expensive tickets. That's not a surprise to anybody that listens to our show. But they said uh, a domestic attendance, park attendance, was down. We didn't think that was a surprise because we've been looking at both posted wait times and actual wait times in the parks since the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we noticed the trend as well. In fact, I think we predicted a uh, low single-digit uh, drop in attendance. The, the thing that stood out to me that was a surprise was this. Disney said that hotel occupancy was up 3%, and that wasn't what I was hearing mm-hmm. for the hotels recently. So I'd heard that June was pretty much flat for the deluxe resorts, which is what I have information on. It was like, you know, plus or minus 1%. Mm-hmm. Um, but then things really started to fall off around 4th of July weekend when some hotels were down as much as 10%. Now, you could say that maybe people weren't staying at the deluxe hotels, and in any event, there aren't that many rooms as compared to the value all true, all results? true. And if you remember right. the middle of June, we had one really awful three-week-long period where we had, I'm blanking the name of that poor woman who, who got killed, then the pulse. Christina Grimmie. Yeah. That, that was actually within seven days. The first, uh, within seven days, we had all three of these things happen. Yeah. What happened at Pulse and then, you know, the, the alligator yeah. attack at the Grand Flow. And we're talking specifically the deluxe segment. The Flow is a deluxe hotel. And you have to wonder... Was there an artificial cooling event from all of this stuff sort of coming together that coupled with, you got to wonder what sort of bookkeeping Disney had to do? Because as I understand it, everyone who was staying 
at the flow in the days immediately afterwards, what with the inconvenience of having the beach closed and their vacations disrupted. All of the rooms were comped, or a good number of them, for a number of days. And you've got to wonder about that. The interesting thing that you pointed out is that uh, this earnings call quarter covered mm-hmm. days up to July 2nd. Yep. Mm-hmm. So maybe the soft 4th of July weekend isn't isn't included in these results, but it'll be included in the next set of results. Yeah, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on this. And, and speaking of earnings calls, I mean, <laughs> you know, got to remember the last earning call was on May 10th, and that was actually the day that Disney announced that they were going to be shutting down Disney Infinity. I mean, they, they took $147 million write-down, 300 people will let go. You know, and again, this is after Disney. Well, there's obviously no money to be made in gaming, so well, let's get out of there. No, so, there's no money yeah, gaming, please. Two weeks later, Pokemon Go goes live. <laughs> there's no money to be made in our gaming, I think, is what they were looking for in terms of the word. <laughs> this was, what, what was it, June 5th when Pokemon Go goes live. What do you think? Uh, June 6th, 7th or 8th? How many executives were out you know, on the ledge of the Team Disney Burbank building? <laughs> they started putting up uh, putting up nets. That's right. Like, Are we playing basketball? What, trampoline park? What's there going on? There we go. Is- That's what I honestly love about Disney. We're absolutely positively getting out of gaming. This epic Mickey thing doesn't work. And, eh? <laughs> Disney Infinity! And so it's like... Uh, Disney character go! So, yeah. okay, so are, are you going to set the egg timer for when Disney goes back into gaming? <laughs> As you're doing this, I'm, I should start typing on monster.com. To say, there you go. Pokemon you go. go the, the funny thing is, if you think about the experiments that Disney's tried in the parks, remember that thing that they, the app that they did with the Haunted Mansion where you could uh, sort of oh. like an augmented virtual reality? Yeah, the ghost post. Yeah, yeah, and it was like, it wasn't Pokemon Go because it didn't have sort of the collecting thing, but they were on the right road. Maybe that wasn't the right exit. They offer that through Disney Store Online. The 2,000 right. units of Ghost Post, uh, or subscriptions, excuse me, went clean in a day. I mean, I, I want to say in 12 hours. People have done all three subscriptions to this thing, mm-hmm. and the basic <laughs> response has been, it's like, look, if I wanted to have homework, I would have stayed home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the sad part is right behind this, Len, were two other of, of these experiences that were designed by Imagineering. There was going to be a Frozen-themed experience and a Star Wars-themed experience. And I'm hoping that if they march forward, that they take into the consideration that it's gaming, it should be fun. And <laughs> fun, what is this word? Eat your fiber, shut up. You know, I, I think that, uh, and I've said this before about uh, about my Disney experience, that it combines all of the charm of an IRS audit with all of the uh, fun of like, double entry bookkeeping. You know, it's like, and, and I think that's I think that's you know the sort of the trap that Disney technology falls into. Mm-hmm. That sometimes the simpler stuff is better because I think Pokemon Go, I haven't played it, but my sense is it's a fairly straightforward thing. No, absolutely. The thing that kills me is. You remember what they did with with Vinylmation and with mm-hmm. pins, right? Where yep. they know that there's this subset of Disney theme park fans mm-hmm. that are huge collectors and, more importantly, completists. Yep. People who have to have every single thing of a collection. They had all of the elements there. They just it just wasn't combined the right way. In both cases, they basically killed the golden goose because it's like, well, they're buying five pins a week. Why can't we do 15 or 50? And I have friends who collected pins for decades who were thrilled when Disney launched this initiative as part of the Millennium Celebration. But a year and a half, two years in, they were like, that's it. I'm done. I can't keep up. You know, it's it's not physically possible. It's not fiscally possible. 
And right. this was the equivalent of killing the golden goose by making pate. It's like just keep cramming stuff in the goose. <laughs> it was it was gavage, right? The forced yeah. uh, the forced feeding. Yeah. There we go. So now goose everywhere, and pin sales crashed, and and same thing with vinylmation. It just I, again, this is what kind of makes me crazy about Disney is that. That was a good little business and could have stayed a good little business for years yet to come. And yeah. But it's like, oh, it's got to be a big, you know, we can see it from space type business and yeah. blew the, the actual people who'd been in on it early yeah. on out. Instead of been happy with like X amount of revenue over 10 years, it was like, let's try and grow this thing 20% a year for three years and see what yeah. happens. Incredibly short-sighted. And I know some people find this, that the whole bookkeeping aspect of Disney kind of tedious, but circling back to the, the earnings call now, I mean, you know, one of the things that actually helped Disney with its numbers was since the last earnings call, we had Civil War uh, opened on, on May 6th. Wound up doing 1.1 billion uh, worldwide. What else? Uh, what else happened in May? Oh, uh, we also had Jungle Book come out on May 15th, and again, you know, thank goodness it did because that saved Animal Kingdom's bacon. But actually, the big story in the middle of the, this period, this quarter, was Alice Through the Looking Glass. Now, this is the, the sequel. Did that actually come out. That actually came out and, and went away. You went through the Looking Glass very quickly. Uh, think about this, Len. When the first movie came out in 2010, directed by Tim Burton. This thing made over a billion dollars worldwide. This is the one with Depp? Uh, yeah, this is Depp as the Mad Hatter, Helena Bonham Carter as the Red Queen, directed by Tim Burton. The second movie with 3D to come out after Avatar. And a lot of people believe that the reason it made as much money as it did was that it was the second movie in 3D that came out after Avatar. Now think about this. This thing cost $170 million to make. To date... Domestically, it made $76 million. Overseas, 212. That's total. So just shy of 300 million, uh, 289 to be exact. Uh, what's, the, what's the rule that you have to, how, what's your multiple of, um, of production cost? Uh, these days, it's four times. And the production cost of this thing were $170 million. So wow, they, so 680? Yeah, they fell short by, by fully a half. Right, so speaking of that, there's also some uh, a couple of uh, interesting things. One, there were uh, an announcement of uh, layoffs at uh, Walt Disney Imagineering. Oh, God, yes. This is not new news. Anybody who follows how the way Imagineering works is that after a theme park opens, there is a layoff. Remember, you know, Shanghai Disneyland opened June 16th of this year. And so yeah. here we are six weeks afterwards. And the word comes down that the 200 people that were laid off or there were 450, but that factors in a lot of contractors and folks who were coming off the project anyway. I mean, I know it's always sad when people lose their jobs, but if, if the Internet were alive back in 1982, 1983, when they laid off 2,000 people from the crew that Epcot, worked on, yeah. I mean, they shrunk, you know, Epcot down to the size of... Who's, who's the guy who keeps talking about he wants government to be strong enough or small enough that he can put it in a bathtub and strangle it? Uh, Grover Norquist. There you go. This was the Grover Nordquist version of Imagineering. They were down to like 400 people. In the middle of this, you did have several Imagineering veterans who were either pushed or suggested that now would be a good time to consider retirement. Bob Weiss was made the new president of Imagineering in January, and one of the things that Bob was charged with was sort of making Imagineering a little more streamlined and, and without 
saying this directly, you know, a little bit more like Universal Creative. They needed to be a little faster. They needed to be mm-hmm. a little lighter on their feet. How's lodging and uh, food and merch doing? This only opened on June 16th. We are... Oh, you're not even two months into it. Yeah. So, I mean, there'll be better data. I'm told... It's the three-month window where they sort of they just begin start checking out patterns then and and making adjustments. So, but speaking of theme park related news, the other big story, at least I consider it this week, was the news that came down that NBC Universal had cut a deal with Warner Brothers Domestic Television for the the cable rights to all of, not only all eight of the Harry Potter movies, but also mm-hmm. the rights to the upcoming Fantastic Beast trilogy. And the first Harry Potter movie hit theaters in November, I want to say November 21st, 2001. Two weeks later, Disney jumps in and grabs the broadcast rights to Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber mm-hmm. of Secrets. They did this deliberately because six months previous, they had bought Fox Family Channel. Oh, I remember that. They turned it into ABC Family, right? Yeah. It, it, in fact, it, that became ABC Family, which is now Freeform. This was a channel that was mostly known at that point for the 700 Club, and they knew they had to craft specific en- identity for this thing. And mm-hmm. and Potter-based programming events became a huge thing for them. Three months wouldn't go by that they weren't doing some sort of Potter-related event. And they laid down big dough. I mean, they they spent $70 million back in 2001 to get the rights to uh, Sorcerer's Stone and and Chamber of Secrets. And they paid, I want to say, $140 million at the very end to get both episodes of Deathly Hallows. So twice as much, wow. Yeah, but but on the other hand, you know, I mean, as recently as I want to say weekend before last, Mm -hmm. they actually had a weekend-long Harry Potter birthday celebration where starting on Friday and then all the way through to midnight on Sunday, they they ran all eight movies in various configurations back-to-back-to-back. Wow. This actually says a lot about what Universal's plans are for Potter. Ride the money train into the sunset? I mean... Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, there's language here that as part of the deal, Universal Studios Hollywood, Universal Orlando, and Universal Studios Japan will explore a range of new opportunities, including fan events, movie screenings, and promotional activities tied to the Harry Potter franchise mm-hmm. in the upcoming Fantastic Beast film. Warner Brothers... Uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find oh, Them. That's the sort right. of Harry Potter prequel. Got, got, got it, right, right, right. It's set in 1926, 75 years before the, the, the Harry Potter started, <sighs> story start, but it's still in the wizarding world, so to speak. There's this uh, rumor going around about uh, some changes to Tomorrowland. Oh, yeah. So everyone's favorite attraction, and I mean that uh, as everyone's not favorite attraction, uh, Stitch, yeah. Stitch's Great Escape, might uh, be going through some uh, might be going through some changes. Yes, yes. There was a D23 animation celebration event. I want to say this was 2013, 2014. They had a, a bunch of Imagineers on stage talking about attractions that were based on films. And afterwards, they allowed a bunch of us bloggers to sort of sit down with the panelists. And one of the, the gentlemen was Tony Baxter. Mm-hmm. Formal interview session is over. Tony is heading out the door and he's talking with the other Imagineers. And I apologize. I probably shouldn't have been listening. But Tony mentioned, oh, yeah, and we're working on this racing game. 
I don't know if you've seen Wreck-It Ralph, but we would be doing something with Sugar Rush. It'd be a lot of it's, people yeah, on a, racers competing. It's a racing team, right? Yeah. Racing game. Again, Tony just throws this out as he's walking out the door. This is supposedly what's replacing Stitch. That the thinking is that they strip all of the chairs out, but you still have the three different levels. And what you do is you place one of those little go karts, but mm-hmm. it's a, a motion platform. So does it actually move in 3D space or does it just sort of tilt like a simulator? It tilts like a simulator. You've seen the 3D helmet set up previously. Basically, put on a, a racing helmet, you sit down on a little go-kart platform, and you are now racing against everybody in the room. And my understanding is with the three different levels, I mean, the, you have to understand that these racers and the mechanisms that power everything mm-hmm. uh, will take up a lot more space for seats. And they, they, I, So we're not talking about a huge capacity. I've heard there's one configuration where there's 25 races per room. There's another configuration where it's 32. But you have a three- and four-minute-long experience where you are racing alongside everybody else in the room in Sugar Rush. And then, because in the previous room you've given your age, you've given your sex, you know, that sort of thing, it actually will break down the race results as you exit as to who won in the, the junior category, who won in the adult category. And, of course, you exit into a gift shop that's now loaded with Wreck-It Ralph merch, with, with Sugar Rush merch, and various racing trophies and that sort of thing. makes sense that this would be coming to the fore now because we've got Wreck-It Ralph 2 coming in, I want to say, March 2018. Yeah, so if they wanted to start renovating, they've got, what, 18, 19 months? Yeah, you've got everybody working on this film. You can pull some folks off and be pulling assets for uh, you know the Sugar Rush ride. But the pitch I'm hearing in-house is that the nice thing about this is that much the same as they finally did with Star Tours, this is reprogrammable. You can do new races. Does it fit Tomorrowland? No. Really, what does? I mean, what, what in Tomorrowland fits Tomorrowland? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's Pixar Land at this point with uh, Space Mountain and Carousel yeah. Progress. As the poor folks who worked at Disney Infinity who were working on those foot-tall figures that were supposed to be out for holiday 2016. Mm-hmm. You know, plans can change You know, very, very quickly, but that seems to be the story that's making the round. So what's going to happen with, with Tomorrowland while we're on the subject? I mean, so the front part of Tomorrowland where you've got the corridor, you've mm-hmm. got Monsters, Laugh Floor, Comedy Show, which is mm-hmm. a Pixar movie. Uh, thing. You've got Buzz Lightyear, which is arcade, you know, sort of shoot 'em up, and then you'll have a Sugar Rush game. Then you walk into Astro Orbiter, Carousel of Progress, TTA, Space Mountain, Atopia. I mean, really, is this is this the land of misfit attractions? Is this the well? What fascinates me is to to hear about who else might be going over here. I mean, the Inside Out themed redo of the Journey into Imagination pavilion for Epcot. If I kind of squinted my eyes, I could mm-hmm. kind of see my way to understanding that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware of the Figment comic book that Marvel published, uh, which sort of described the origins of the Dreamfinder. And huge bestseller. There's a new series of books coming that will continue that storyline. But it's kind of reimagined. The Dreamfinder is kind of a steampunky eventer kind of a thing. If you throw Inside Out into the Imagination Pavilion and mm-hmm. half a million dollars a year in Figment plush sales alone, they don't want to lose that. 
Right. So you have a steampunky adventurer character, you know, and you have a a Tomorrowland that is still kind of sort of clinging to the mythology of 1994 redo, the future that never was. The Jules Vernish. Uh... Yeah. So how would you feel if you suddenly started seeing the Dreamfinder again with the Figment doll, only he was walking around Tomorrowland? I'd be fine with that. Okay. That fits in. Mm-hmm. That's what may be happening here. Okay, I'm okay with that. Okay. Is there paperwork that I need to sign? Is that... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Tessa's on board. Get him to sign. All right, get him. Okay, yeah. No, I think that makes sense. You know, number one, it it fits in with the uh, the last uh, set of theming. Number two, it's a Disney-created character. It's not something that they bought. So you get a couple of bonus points for that. But number three, if you think about sort of the posters Mm -hmm. and the the audio that you uh, see and hear as you walk around Tomorrowland... Mm -hmm. That fits in. That's it. Fits in fairly well. So I think I think that's a that's a better fit than a lot of the other ideas that possibly could could, could go there. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd be willing to give it a shot. All right, that's gonna do it for the for this episode. Then you've been listening to the Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. We are produced fabulously, I might add, by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes and Stitcher and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care, guys couple other quick uh, show notes before we go. If you want more of me and Jim talking, check out our shows at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. These are shows you won't find on iTunes, including live in-park tours and other silliness. They cost about a buck an episode. Again, give them a try at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Also, while you've got those headphones plugged in, give our friends over at the unofficial Universal Orlando podcast to listen at UUOPodcast.com. Talk about lots of fun things related with theme parks. All right, we'll see you guys on the next show.